Hello and thank you for joining us for week two of our Book of Daniel series, Living a Life of Integrity. This is an eight-week series exploring the key themes in Daniel, the sovereignty of God, the importance of faithfulness in the world, and God's redemptive plan for his people. By focusing primarily on the life of Daniel, we gain a powerful picture of a faithful person and his challenges living in a hostile culture. So will you go ahead and turn to the book of Daniel, chapter 2. There's going to be a little commentary between these verses, so just follow along, starting with verse 1. In the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, the king had a dream that disturbed him so much he was unable to fall asleep. So the king sent for his usual advisors, the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and other Chaldean wise men, to come and help him understand the dream. They came and stood before the troubled king. Nebuchadnezzar said to his advisors, I've had a dream that disturbed me. I know I'm not going to have any peace until I know what it means. One thing important to remember before we move on to verse 4 is that King Cyrus allowed some of the Judean exiles to return home around 538 BC. So some were actually held captive there while others were held in Babylon. So the wise men in Aramaic said this to Nebuchadnezzar. Long live the king, we are your servants forever. Tell us your dream, and we will tell you what it means. The king had his suspicions, though, about his advisors, so he purposely makes the task more difficult. Nebuchadnezzar said in verse 5, My mind is made up, my decree is firm. If you do not tell me what I dreamed and what it means, you will be torn apart, limb from limb, and those houses of yours will be turned into piles of rubble. But if you do tell me what I dreamed and what it means, then you can expect to receive great honor, gifts, and other rewards as I see fit. So tell me the details of your dream and what it means. The wise men said back to him in verse 7, Perhaps the king should first tell his servants what he dreamed, then we will tell him what it means. Nebuchadnezzar says back to them, It's obvious to me that you are just buying time, hoping to figure out a way out of this, because you can plainly see... I will do this of what I said. If you do not tell me what I dreamed, then there can only be one fate for you. Death is I have decreed. You have conspired to lie and deceive me until the situation turns around. But it won't. I will not change my mind. So tell me right now what I dreamed. If you can do that, then I will have some assurance that you can tell me what it means. The wise men respond, No one on earth is able to do what the king demands. And never in history has a great and powerful king such as yourself asked this sort of thing of any magician, enchanter, or wise man. What the king requires is far too difficult for any human being. Only the gods can reveal it to the king, and they do not live among us as mortals. Verse 12. When the king heard their reply, he was absolutely outraged and ordered that all the so-called wise men of Babylon be put to death. So the decree was issued, and the king's officials began to round up all the wise men in Babylon for execution. Officers were sent to fight and kill Daniel and his friends too, for they were renowned for their wisdom. Verse 14, As Arioch, the chief of the royal guard, was searching for the wise men of Babylon to kill them, he came across Daniel. Daniel responded to the situation shrewdly and with discretion. Daniel says in verse 15, What has happened? Why has the king issued such a harsh decree? Ariot did his best 
to explain the situation to Daniel. And that brings us to verse 16. So Daniel entered the palace and asked the king to give him a little bit more time so that he could come back to him and tell the king both what he had dreamed and what it all meant. After Daniel made his request, he returned home and told his friends, the ones we learned about last week in Daniel chapter 1, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, what was going on. He asked them to pray and plead for mercy so that the God of heaven might reveal this mystery. If Daniel and his friends could tell the king what he wanted to know, then they could not be put to death along with the other wise men of Babylon. Then one night the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision, and so Daniel offered this blessing to the God of heaven. And this is where we get the blessing in verse 20. Daniel says, Praise the name of God forever and ever, for all wisdom and power belong to him. He sets in motion the times and the ages. He deposes kings and installs others. He gives wisdom to the wise and grants knowledge to those with understanding. He reveals deep truths and hidden secrets. He knows what lies veiled in the darkness. Pure light radiates from within him. I recognize who you are, and I praise you, God of my ancestors, for you have given me wisdom and strength, and now you have graciously revealed to me what we asked of you. For you have now revealed to us the king's dream and its meaning. So in verse 24, Daniel goes back to Arioch, the officer charged with rounding up and executing all the wise men in Babylon, and tried to stop him. Daniel says this, Stop what you are doing. It is not necessary to execute the wise men of Babylon. Instead, take me to the king, and I will tell him what the dream means. Arioch did not waste any time in bringing Daniel before the king. Arioch says to Nebuchadnezzar, Mighty king, I have found a man from among the exiles from Judah who says he will be able to tell the king what his dream means. Then Daniel turned to the king, who had, remember, been given the Babylonian name Belteshazzar. Nebuchadnezzar says, So, Belteshazzar, are you able to tell me what I dreamed and what it all means? And this is what Daniel says. The Chaldeans were correct. There are no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or sorcerers in all the world who are able to reveal the mystery the king requested. But there is a God in heaven who can reveal such mysteries. The dream you dreamed and the visions you saw, King Nebuchadnezzar, unveil the future and disclose what will happen at the end of the age. Now I will tell you what you dreamed and the visions you saw as you slept in your bed. Good king, as you lay in your bed at night, thoughts about the future sprang in your mind, and the revealer of all mysteries unveiled to you what is going to happen. Verse 30. I am here today not because I have greater wisdom than any other in the land, but because God in his wisdom has revealed to me this mystery. It is God's plan that the king knows the meaning of the dream and understands the thoughts that race through your mind. So a little commentary here. Daniel agrees with the counsel given to the kings by his own advisors. No worldly source can possibly answer the king's challenge. To know the content of the dream without any prior information is simply beyond us and can only be the God of Israel. So now to verse 31. This is Daniel talking here. In your dream you were looking, O king, and suddenly a great statue of what appeared to be a man stood before you. It was enormous in size, shining bright as the sun at midday. Its appearance was frightening. The head of the statue was fashioned of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its trunk and thighs of bronze, its calves of iron and its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. 
as you were watching, a special stone was quarried and cut, but not by human hands. The divinely hewn stone began to move, and it struck the statue on its iron and clay feet and smashed them to pieces. Suddenly, the entire statue collapsed. Its iron, clay, bronze, and silver, and gold were all broken into pieces and turned to dust, like the chaff carried away by the wind from the threshing floors in summer. Soon, not a trace of the statue was left, but the divinely hewn stone that struck the statue became a mountain that filled the whole earth. That, good king, was your dream. If you allow, we will now tell you what it means. Now to verse 37. You, O king, are the king of kings. The God of heaven has conferred upon you the kingdom you now rule, along with the power and strength and glory to subdue it. He has placed all people everywhere and all the beasts that roam the fields and all the birds that fly in the sky under your control. He has made you ruler over them all. You are the head of gold, Nebuchadnezzar. After your reign is over, another kingdom will rise, but its glory will never match yours. This lesser kingdom is the chest and arms of silver. When that kingdom has come and gone, a third and even less majestic empire will rise, which will rule over all the earth. This kingdom is the trunk and the thighs of bronze. Then, when those days are past, a fourth kingdom will come to power with the strength of iron, though lacking in grandeur. Just as iron breaks and shatters everything, so this kingdom will break and shatter all these former realms. But as you saw in your vision, this kingdom will be divided, with feet and toes made of both clay and iron. The strength of iron runs through it, but as the toes are made partly of iron and partly of clay, the kingdom too will be partly strong and partly fragile. Your dream envisions that this kingdom of iron mixed with clay will be of peoples mixed, but not united. The kingdoms joined in the bonds of marriage, but not true allies, for iron and clay form no alloy. These four kingdoms of gold, silver, bronze, and iron clay are probably the Neo-Babylonian, Median, Persian, and Greek kingdoms, respectively, uh, even though we don't know that for sure. Just a little commentary thrown in there. Verse 30, sorry, 44. In the days when these kings of iron and clay reigned, the God of heaven will set up another kingdom, a kingdom that will never be destroyed, a kingdom that will never be ruled by others. It will crush all other kingdoms and bring them all to an end. This kingdom will last forever. It will be as you have seen in your dream that a special stone quarried and cut not from the mountain, not from human hands, will crush the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. The great God, the one true God of heaven, has revealed to the king what will happen in the future. You can be sure that the dream and its meaning are true. When Daniel had finished, King Nebuchadnezzar did something remarkable. He fell on his face before Daniel worshipped him and ordered his officials to offer grain offerings and burn incense to him as they would to a god. Nebuchadnezzar responds in verse 47, I am now certain that your god is like all the other gods, the Lord of all kings and the revealer of mysteries. For unlike the other wise men in my service, you were able to reveal to me this mystery. You told me not only what I dreamed, but also what it means. We're almost to the end of this. So just hang on. The king bestowed high honors and many gifts to Daniel. He promoted him to new positions in the court and made him governor over the whole province of Babylon and head over all wise men in his realm. Daniel approached the king and requested that he put his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in charge of affairs in the province of Babylon while Daniel remained in the royal court. 
And that's going to conclude our scripture reading for week two. We're able to sense a few topics as we read through uh, Daniel chapter two. Um, Some of those topics might be things like sovereignty, that God uh, even uses a pagan king for his glory. We see that here uh, in Nebuchadnezzar. Um, We also see things like prophecy, Daniel being able to, without the king even telling him his vision, being able to not only hear his vision, but also interpret it and tell it, uh, tell him what it means. And also, we also see worship, that even though Nebuchadnezzar responds in a very strange way of offering grain offerings and burnt sacrifices to Daniel, uh, we do see maybe a, a, uh, a messed up kind of worship, but uh, whenever we see Daniel truly worship God, we see him do it in a correct way of never taking the credit for himself, but always giving it uh, back to God whom he calls in this the God of his ancestors. The big idea of this message is that God is sovereign over rulers and over all peoples. And just like Daniel, we should use our gifts and talents to always point back to God. And so really the key here is going to be God's sovereignty. This chapter, interestingly enough, details a reoccurring dream that Nebuchadnezzar had as well as Daniel's ability to interpret it. The dream concerned the future of Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom and world events as they would come to pass. Scholars have often asked why God would give a dream to a king like Nebuchadnezzar. Why would he reveal these things to an unbeliever who was ruling over God's people who were in exile, some of which were killed or used as hostages? One explanation is that maybe... A world power must itself learn and its first representative who had put an end to God's kingdom what its final destination would be in its turn overthrown and that it would be forever subject to the kingdom of God. This also points to the rejection of God as king uh, over Israel and we know that through the Israelite past that The incredible thing is whenever God, through Moses, removed his people from Egypt, that he wanted to be their their king. He wanted to be their God. And we know that in time, Israel wanted to be like the other nations. They would have rather put their power in political structures or in military structures or uh, even in uh, the sacrificial system itself with the tabernacle and later the temple. But we all know that they grew into structures made by human hands, made by people. And they found more peace in these structures than they did in God. And eventually, we know that God released them to exile. If you want to be like the other nations, hey, here's how the other nations live. And the ultimate of all those was Babylon. They traded in theocracy with God for monarchy under another throne. And unfortunately, that monarch might not have been very godly like Nebuchadnezzar or later Belshazzar or others to come. You can learn a lot about an author by reading the books they've written. Think about your favorite author that you like or have ever read. Even if the work isn't autobiographical, an author's plot points and character developments can give you hints about the things they value. 
the perspective they have or the way they think life should be or should work. In a similar way, the history of the Old Testament tells us a lot about who God is. He isn't the cause of evil or brokenness in the world, but he is sovereign over all human history. In this case, the future unfolding of world events that Nebuchadnezzar is given special knowledge of tells us that God is always working in human history to teach the proud to be humble because he's the real ruler. He's the only ruler. And this is incredibly important to remember in today's time and age that it still is true that we should not put our, our hope or faith into political structures or into military or into other things that's so easy to do that. God is still telling us, I'm the true ruler, have faith in me, and I will take care of it. The interesting thing we also see here is that Nebuchadnezzar is smart enough to know that the many wise men he has surrounding himself may tell him what he wants to hear, or maybe only might give him positive interpretations of his dream and not tell him the truth. So he decides to test him and requires that they tell him what his dream means before he even tells them what it was. So what was impossible for any magician or enchanter or astrologer was only possible with God. When Daniel receives the interpretation from God in a vision, he has two important responses. He praises God both privately and he gives credit to God publicly. In verses 20 through 23, he immediately praises God for providing and for protecting him and his friends. And then when Nebuchadnezzar asks Daniel if he is able to do what the magicians and diviners were unable to do, he says, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. It's pretty incredible, right? Daniel also doesn't interpret this dream so the king can better strategize how to respond to these world events. He gives the king an advantage in the shifting kingdoms that will come. Instead, he interprets the dream to point back to God's sovereignty over all the events it concerns. God repeatedly uses his people not to glorify themselves or to give some advantage to others, but to simply glorify God. God has given us the joy of spiritual sight so that we might spread the reputation of our eye doctor. Or you could say that we were caught in a deep mine shaft, and it was caving in on us, and Jesus came down into the collapsing shaft of our sin and our guilt and our fear, and he has put us on his back, and at the cost of his own life got us out. Why, you might ask? So that we could spread the reputation of his courage, of his strength, of his kindness, all of those attributes and virtues that it mentions. Also, Nebuchadnezzar's focus was clearly on Daniel's ability to know and interpret his dream. That's found in verse 47. And this caused him to worship God and elevate Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's position in Babylon. While the king may have missed some of what God was revealing to him, this chapter makes clear that God is sovereign over nations and rulers. Other kingdoms will overtake this one. But God's kingdom will never be destroyed or fall into the control of another nation. And that's said in verse 44. So this brings up a few questions for you to ask yourself. In your life, what does it look like for you to praise God both privately and publicly? Second question is, how can you use your specific gifts to point back to God as the giver of gifts? And lastly, maybe the hardest one to answer is, do you truly believe that God is sovereign over all nations and rulers? Or like Israel, we get ourselves in trouble with this one. That God, I believe you're sovereign over this thing, 
but not that thing. Or you're sovereign over this part of my life, but not that other part of my life. And the answer to, to answer three will more likely get us in more trouble than anything. Because if we believe that God is sovereign over some things and not others, then we truly don't believe that he's sovereign. And so may we be able to sort this out uh, through much prayer. Um, because what this story teaches us is that even though when things are not going right, even when it seems all is lost, even when it seems the enemy has taken everything from us, God is still sovereign. And he's not evil and he does not create the brokenness in our world. And it's our job to step up and elevate God in whatever situation that we might find ourselves in. I hope that this uh, reading and just challenge of Daniel 2 has been helpful for you. And may you be blessed today and join us next week for week three of our Daniel series.